0: Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40 today. Now, the setting for Isaiah 40, Now, I I, I looked at two different sources and got something a little different. Uh, But Isaiah is is called by the Lord to to warn the people initially, we know this, and Jeremiah also, about the the captivity, about Babylon. And here, the setting is that the people are in captivity, and the captivity is going to end soon. And so the Lord has a message for them, and he wants them to see certain things, so he sends this prophet Isaiah to them. And, of course, I want to look at it in the context and then also how that, you know, some of this relates to us today. And as you you start to read this, and you go through the chapter, you can see how, and this is the way it is in the scriptures, you have the context, you have that which the Lord is, is showing or saying or speaking uh, to the people through a prophet, and then that which the Lord by his Spirit can take and apply to an individual, to a nation, to you know, whomever. And the interesting part of this, when I was looking at this, um, Maybe I'll mention it when we get to verse 3. But let's start with verse 1. So he says to the people, now remember the people are in captivity. He says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Now, whenever we are in a situation, a difficulty, they're in a difficult situation, they're in captivity, they're in Babylon, and we don't know exactly what went on as far as you know, the suffering of the people uh, as far as, as a whole, you know, as an individual, as a family, you know, we don't, we don't know a whole lot about that. But yet, uh, Isaiah is told to tell them or to comfort them with certain words. Now, we can all be in a particular situation, just like they were, and it can be a difficult situation. And we can hear certain things that come to us specifically from the mouth of the Lord. And if we're in a a difficult circumstance, let's say, and the word comes forth, a word of comfort, but yet we're not in comfort. Can we trust the Lord to fulfill his word? If it doesn't take place right then and there when we hear it, can we look to the Lord and believe Him and have faith in Him that what He says will come to pass? And you know, we're all temporal beings as far as, you know, we're, we're eternal, yes, in, internally, but we're temporal beings as far as this life is concerned, as far as this world is concerned, you know, as far as our physical body is concerned, and we relate to the world around us, our environment, through our body, through our senses, not necessarily through our spirit. And so we tend, all of us tend, to relate to things on a natural level. Now, that can be okay. If you're hungry, you go sit down, you eat something. I mean, that's, that's all normal. But when it comes to the things of God and it comes to the Word of God, you know, there, there has to be in us, in our spirit, this waiting for, or maybe you could say anticipation of, or this faith toward God so that when his word comes, that we are able to believe it and, and hold on to that until there is a fulfillment or whatever it may be that that word is going to bring to us. Like, like I said, comfort, yes, comfort my people, but they weren't comforted at that time. It, I don't know how many years. I couldn't, I couldn't figure this out. I didn't have time to look at this. This may have been, remember, they were in Babylon for 70 years. So this could have been the last 20 years, let's say, or the last 10 years. And so, you know, you hear this word, the Lord's you know, going to bring comfort. Well, are you going to rest in God even though you're not comforted? Can you wait for him for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years till that's fulfilled? So in order for that to happen in my life and your life, we must have faith in God alone. Because many times we will not see things change right away. We may. But for the most part, when they prophesy, you know, this is... You know, something they prophesied had happened many, many years later. Verse 2, speak comfort to Jerusalem. Now remember that uh, the prophet said, Jeremiah told them that um, they were going to be taken into captivity by the king of Babylon. I believe is how it's worded. And they didn't believe it. Some of the, the false prophets walked around and they were saying, No, you know, God's not going to do this. This is not going to happen, you know, so on and so forth. But what happened was the, the Chaldeans, not the Chaldeans, the, the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed a temple. They, they did all that. So he says, Speak comfort to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was, you know, in, in pretty bad shape. That her warfare is ended. And her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So, you know, this is the the captivity. They're in that. This is the destruction that they experienced in Jerusalem and in the country. Now, this is an interesting verse here. And I know when I read this what we're all going to think. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, who's that speaking of? John the Baptist. See, that's what we we know because we read it in in the New Testament. And this this is very interesting. I see this in the Scriptures quite often. The context here is that God is going to take them from Babylon back to their land and he is going to prepare the way. He's going to make the low places high and the high places low and that's referring to whenever kings would would go from place to place or their armies would march from place to place, they would send out individuals that they would go out and they'd prepare the way to see if if there needs to be some type of construction or whatever it may be so that they could move quickly from one point to another. This is saying that the Lord is going to go before them and he's going to prepare the way for them to leave Babylon and go back to their land. So the interesting thing I found, and as I said, this is in scripture frequently, is John the Baptist, this is taken out of its original context and it's applied to John the Baptist. And people sometimes today, when something is taken out of context, they get really you know, upset and say, you can't do that. That's not what the Bible says. But John the Baptist, it applied to him. And you see the apostles do this all the time when they're they're quoting Old Testament Scripture and they're taking it out of its context. That's because the Spirit of God is doing that. So here in this verse, and in verse 4, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. This is actually the promise that God is going to restore, which is a tremendous promise. And, you know, you and I have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And, you know, we came to him or he came to, to us and we surrendered our life to him. And he restored us from our old life, from this sinful nature, now to another place. And he is still in the process of restoring our heart and life. And then we call that uh, the process of sanctification. So the Lord is interested in restoration of his people, and he's inter- interested in restoration, of course, of those who do not know him. But in this context, this is the restoration of his people from captivity, to this blessing. And you see that applies today even to Christians who are in bondage, uh, who are captive to who knows what, whatever it may be, and the Lord will take them and restore them into this place of blessing or rest. So in verse 5 here, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So, as the Lord works, He works here with um, Israel, with the people of Judah, actually. Uh, in this process of restoration, the glory of the Lord is revealed. Now, whether they saw it or not, it wasn't just in the physical thing that that was true. Uh, they're restored from captivity into their own land. But restoration uh, is deeper than what goes on in the physical. Restoration deals with that which is intrinsic. So what's going on within us? And the glory of the Lord is revealed in this process of restoration. Restoration. So there may be something in a person's life that has been maybe an ongoing thing, or maybe maybe it's something that was very difficult, and you experience that, and the Lord you know, does a, a miracle in your life, he does a work in your life, and he restores you. And the glory of the Lord is revealed, and you may see that to some degree. I mean, you may miss it, you may see it. But yet the glory of the Lord is revealed. Now, remember, not everything you can see this in the in the New Testament. There's four different words used for uh, the word revelation that we use. Not the book of Revelation, but uh, being revealed, revelation, and so on. And, and there's one that's called apoc- apocalyptus in the Greek. It's a Greek word. And <clears throat> it means that there's going to be a manifestation, <clears throat> excuse me, and... Let me see if I can remember this. Um, There's a manifestation, and then there is the understanding of what is being manifest. And this, of course, deals with Jesus uh, primarily in, in the New Testament. And so the Lord can reveal, the glory of the Lord can be revealed, it can be seen or it can be missed. Or the Lord can do it in such a way in which it's seen and it's very, very plain to understand what is really taking place. And, and he does that frequently, I believe, in the lives of people. So he says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, verse 5, and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So When he says here, all flesh, he's speaking about mankind. He's saying that the people are going to see the physical thing, actually. They're going to see this restoration from Babylon to their homeland. They're going to see that. All flesh is going to see this thing take place together for the mouth of the Lord has said it. Now, flesh here refers to the body, uh, the, the vigor, strength, energy, that which moves in the natural. See, all flesh shall see that. And of course, there's a spiritual application to that also. For the mouth of the Lord has said so. The voice said, Cry out. Now, still, remember, now, Isaiah is hearing this from the Lord. This is what he's told to do. A voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. So remember, this flesh here primarily is speaking, first of all, of the natural, the man, the vigor, all that. And then then secondarily, it also has this meaning of the carnal carnal nature. Uh, So here, he's saying all flesh, all mankind. Remember, this is going to be something that's moving in the natural. They're, They're taken from captivity to their land. So all the kings, all the princes, all those in that area, all the nations, all the people... They are all as grass before the Lord. See, man thinks he's something. Man thinks, or, he, or should say the grass, the, the flesh, will last. And, and man thinks that his natural uh, abilities, his natural man, his vigor, his energy, he thinks that's the best. But... Um, as we know, that's not the case. It is as the flower of the grass, verse 7. The grass withers and the flower is gone. And and that's a picture of um, like the desert where the heat comes. And, and the flowers that are there, the wildflowers, uh, this, the, the pretty little flowers, the, the herbs, all that. When the heat of the desert comes, it just withers that. It's gone. So man in his best state, man in his vigor and strength, uh, man in his fleshly, carnal thinking, gone. Just like the heat comes, God blows upon a person's life, and they're gone that fast. I remember coming home from work on 376 and seeing an area in the middle of the medium there where there were wildflowers growing. Really pretty, really pretty. All these different colors, all these little flowers. I remember at one point I stopped and went over and picked a bunch for Linda and brought them home one day. And in a week's time, gone gone so that's man's life that's the natural uh, man the the person who has the energy the vigor you know all that you know when you're younger all that strength you think it's going to be there because you get up every day and you know you're ready to go you have all this energy you know wait about 30 years you get up out of bed and you say I better go back to bed for a couple more hours. So in verse 7, the grass withers, the flower fades, it falls away, because the breath of the Lord blows upon us like the desert heat. Surely the people are grass. Now in verse 8, see, he says this because there's this, Great, There's a contrast here, and the great contrast here is between the temporal and the eternal. And many people cannot pick up on that contrast. Now, it's one thing to see it and understand it, and believe it, of course, but it's quite another thing for that to take hold of our heart and life, and such direct our path. See, that's different. So in verse 8 here, the grass withers, the flower fades, because, that's verse 7, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely of the people's grass. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades. That's the temporal That's what we see and experience in this life, in this earth. It's the temporal thing. But the word of God stands forever. Turn to 2 Corinthians. So the contrast there is the temporal as opposed to the word of God, which is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4... Now, I haven't told you anything that you don't know. You know that, right? We all know this. We've read these scriptures. But do we have the reality of that moving in our heart? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Perishing is a present participle. See, when you're young, when you're 20, you're 25, you're 30, you don't have a conception of your outward man perishing as you do when you're 50, 60, or older. You don't have that. Unless the Spirit of God makes that alive in you. And you know how, how I'll know or how somebody will know that the Spirit of God has made it alive in you? Because your steps will be directed a certain way. Not toward the temporal, but toward the eternal. Yet the inward man, see this is the contrast even in verse 16. The outward man, the the fleshly man, the natural man, uh, the man with the energy and the vigor, is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed, and that's also a present participle, It's being renewed day by day, day by day. So as you and I walk with the Lord daily, two things happen. Our bodies are perishing, which is going to happen anyway if you walk with the Lord or not. But walking with the Lord now gives you, so to speak, the other side of the coin that most people don't know or experience, and that as the, the inward man is being renewed day by day. So the life of God, the life of Jesus Christ, is placed in you. and that life is so to speak, growing, or you could say that you are experiencing to a greater degree today His life, by His spirit than you did last year or 2 years ago or last month so the inward man is being renewed by day by day but see that's only taking place as one walks in the will and purpose of the lord see then this is an automatic thing it just it's a present participle which just takes place every, you know constantly for our light affliction which is for a moment See, if we're walking with God and we're being renewed, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So when you walk with God, it's a win-win situation. Things occur and things take place in your life that you may not even be aware of. You're being renewed. Uh, He's working in you this eternal weight of glory but it's dependent upon this the first verse of the uh, first word of the, of the next verse says while while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen see so that has to be occurring in the life for this whole thing here uh, to, to be as God wants it to be. You're being renewed. You're having this, this weight of glory placed in you. That only happens as, well, it says in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as you behold the Lord. It's, it's the same thing. While you look not at the things which are seen, those things are temporary, but at the things which are not seen. For the things, verse 18, for the things which are seen, very clear, are temporal. But, or in contrast to that, the things which are not seen are eternal. So, we cannot, mankind in his best state, cannot look at the things which are eternal. He cannot. That's what the new birth brings our way. The possibility now that we don't focus upon the temporal any longer. So there is a shift in the inner man of those who are born from above, and that shift now is from that which is temporary to that which is natural to that which is cardinal to that which is fleshly, and the shift is over now to that which is life, that which is eternal, and that which God wants to place in you, which is this eternal weight of glory. And for the most part, many do not understand when their spirit shifts from the eternal back to the temporal. Because the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not, unless the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. So Isaiah here is showing this tremendous contrast. Back in Isaiah. In Hebrews, no, it's in Corinthians, it says, for we walk by faith and not by sight and let me read something from hebrews this is speaking of moses he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of god than to enjoy the pleasures of sin or uh, or the passing pleasures of sin or sin for a season so you see this contrast brought into the life of moses you know is he going to choose as it says here to suffer affliction with the people of God, you know, or, or he, is he you know, going to just go his own way and have it easy and go the way of Egypt, the way of the world? But see, he saw something. He says, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Now, how did he see Christ, the Messiah, Moses, thousands of years before Jesus? But but see, when you shift away from the temporal to the eternal, the eyes are opened. And now when the eyes are opened, the Lord can start to reveal Himself. He can reveal certain things that will hopefully keep the individual focused upon the eternal. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He, uh, by faith he forsook Egypt. You hear that? By faith he did that. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that word seeing, again, is a present participle. So it's, it was now continual seeing. Seeing. taking his eyes off of the temporal, going to the eternal. Quite a work of God. Now back in Isaiah 40, remember now, the Israelites that were in captivity in Babylon, their focus was on themselves. It was on their hardships. It was on what was going. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture somewhere. I don't know if it's, It might be in Isaiah. I'm not sure. But it said the people were were complaining about their their hardships. And it says that they didn't know that God had heard them. I believe that's in Isaiah. They didn't know that God had heard. Well, why was that? Because they were focused upon the temporal. And this is, see, this is so applicable to us today, to all Christians. You focus on the circumstance, and that becomes a temporal thing that has caught your eye. And so, in that state, now, I mean, you see your circumstance. I'm not saying I'm not, you, you, you deny them. But I'm saying that that is the focus. So the focus being there with an individual, they will miss what is going on in the eternal. So in verse 12, see, where was it here? Verse 8, the contrast. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. So he's going to to talk here now about the word of the Lord or about the Lord who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Well, that's an amazing thing. Now, when he says measured the waters, I'm assuming he's meaning the waters of, of this world. You know, the ocean is pretty big, isn't it? It's pretty deep. It goes down hundreds and in some places thousands of feet. Atlantic, Pacific. And it says here that, that God measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. He measured the heavens with a span. This is a span from this, I believe it's from this point to this point. He measured it with his hand. You know, God's pretty big. And that doesn't mean that he's this giant, giant. But this, there's a spiritual application here that, that these things are, are nothing. You know, people spend all their life in, is it oceanography? And then other people spend their life, all their life, in astronomy. And it goes on, zoology, so, so on. And, and it's so vast, even studying one species, people have devoted their entire life. And, you know, the Lord says it's just a little bit here in my hand. It's not a whole lot. The heavens is just a little span, and he calculated the dust of the earth in measure. You ever go to the beach and grab a handful of sand? No, no, don't do this because I, I remember when I was at the beach one time. I just poured a little bit of my hand. And I'm going like this. So friend saw me. Said, "What in the world are you doing?" So I wanted to see just a little pile. If I could count, kind of just you know, and, and you'd be surprised at a little pile, a teeny little pile. How many grains of sand there are? It's a lot. It says here that he calculated the dust, or in other places, it talks about the sand of the sea, of the earth in measure. He weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. So, he's trying to show the people here that their little temporary circumstance is not very big compared to God. Now, that doesn't bring any of us, much comfort, you know, even thinking about that, unless there is a revelation. Because if there is a revelation of God himself, then that totally overshadows anything in the temporary, in the temporal, anything. So the problem many times is that we don't, See the Lord. We don't see him. Now let's continue on. In verse 21, he says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? So the question here is asked, in such a way to say, is that you should know and you should have heard? That's how the question here is. It's not, don't you know? It's the, don't you know? Have you not heard? Don't we as Christians know? Have we not heard? And the answer is, we should. We should. So in, in verse 28 let me read this from Isaiah I had to put these in my notes so we can continue here This is I um excuse me Jeremiah 422 For my people are foolish they have not known me they are silly children and they have no understanding they are wise listen to this they are wise to do evil but to do good they have no knowledge So the knowledge of God is going to be uh, found in our obedience and in doing that which he placed before us, which is good. And let me read a verse from Luke here real quick. Luke 24. You don't have to turn there. 25. And this is, I I was looking at this last night. This This is quite a portion of scripture, Luke 24. It's the the two on the road to Emmaus. And he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And he talks about him dying and, and suffering and dying. So even these here, see, these were disciples, the two on the road. And he says to them, that they were slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. So remember now, they put their stake in Jesus delivering Israel. And now they're recounting the things that happened, and I believe that they're relating to the temporal now. We thought he was going to be the one. So Jesus has to come, like he does many times with us, and have this shift now to the eternal, and that's what he does with these two men. Now, verse 11. God's intention for us, all as Christians, is to do us good. Look at verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom... And gently lead those who are with young. God's intention for you is good. Always good. Do you believe that? I I don't believe that all Christians believe that. I don't believe that when, when Christians are in certain things, they believe that God is always after their good. See, is that settled in your mind today and in your heart so that no matter what occurs, it's settled? It's settled. You believe that God wants His good for you. Let me read from John. Turn to Deuteronomy 8. This is John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Why did he do that? You know, for your good. Well, we believe that. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. So this is something different here. He's talking about those that know him. And he's, he's speaking to those sheep who know him. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own, or am known by them. Then he says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, I believe that the Lord wants us, all, all of us, to shift from the temporal to the eternal and live there. So that in our heart, no matter what goes on here in the natural, I mean, we have to function in the natural. We're in a body here, you know. That that's okay. We can, you know, we can do this, we can do that, you know, whatever it may be. But he, he wants his, his best for us, actually but he wants us to believe that he has good for us. And to have that revelation or that knowing in us will mean that we must be focused upon the eternal. So that, that's, that's where our heart is poised, you know, toward him. Now in Deuteronomy 8, You know, it's easy to read scriptures, isn't it? But the Lord wants us to, uh, or put it this way, the Lord wants the heart to be impacted by the scriptures. It says, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. Well, that's, that's that's really great. Do you know that even today, he feeds with the hidden manna? He feeds you with the hidden manna that he might humble you. Well, I'm telling you what. If he feeds you with manna, and, and you experience that, and, and that comes to you uh, and feeds you in your spirit, that's humbling. Because you know it's not you. It's not you. That he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end, or as the King James says, in the latter end. So the Lord wants to do us good in our latter end. So as I see this, we're all progressing to our latter end. You start off in the beginning, knowing the Lord, and you walk for however many years. And, of course, there's other applications to this, but when we come to our end or close to our end, if we have walked with the Lord and our focus has been the eternal and not the temporal, then we will understand and we will see and we will have heard that God has done us good. I'm not, somebody's not going to have to tell us that. We're going to know that because we have heard from Him. We have seen His hand. We have seen Him at work. That He has done us good at our latter end. And this, let me read this from Job. So the Lord blessed. The latter end of Job more than the beginning. We all know that verse. Why did the Lord bless him or, well, what was the blessing? Put it this way. What was the blessing of Job in his latter end? Well, you say, well, he, he was restored, you know, a family and all this cattle. Well, that wasn't the blessing. That's what preachers say. And, of course, that, that that's there is an aspect of truth to that. Yes, that, that, that was the blessing. But the blessing is seen earlier on in the same chapter. That was chapter 42. And, and here's the blessing of, of God to Job and his latter end. Remember, Job you know, was in darkness. He didn't understand why these different things were happening and, and so on. And you see that in the discourse back and forth between him and the other four men, his friends. But it says here, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. And I heard people say things about you. But now my eyes have seen you. So the, the blessing of Job in his latter end was the opening of his eyes. He, he looked back and he says, oh, I see now. I see this. And Job blessed his latter end. Yes, in a natural, that's true. But the greatest blessing you will have will be when God opens your eyes, because when God opens your eyes, and he can be doing this throughout your life, because when he opens your eyes to see, that will help you to direct your path and direct your way. So that when you get to your end, there is this richness there that you did not have at the very beginning. James says this, Indeed we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So our faith in God is not to be based upon the temporal, what's going on in our life today, what's going on in our country today. Our faith is to be placed upon or to be resting upon him and him alone, regardless of what he does or what he does not do. Because, what's it say in uh, what is it? Hebrews eleven. Uh, um, I can't. Uh, just stop by me here a second. Faith is the. Um, how's that go? What's that? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Excuse me, and the evidence of things what? Not seen. So, again, you have that contrast. What you see is temporal. But faith rests in that which is not seen, in the eternal. But see, the opening of the eyes for a Christian, now they'll be able to see that which is eternal. And in so seeing, we'll be able, with the help of God, to direct their path and direct their ways. You know, in that direction. So, I like this. Let me read one more verse. Mark the perfect man, or mark the blameless man, and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. So so there is there is an end the Lord has for you, and I believe it's to be uh, a a good end. And and for us as Christians. We need to be mindful that at any time we can move back and relate and focus upon the temporal. But God would rather have us, in this contrast that we've seen in at least four scriptures, God would rather have us focused upon the eternal so that His will and His work and His purpose you personally will be accomplished, and I believe it will be. and you will come to a, a good end. And, and the Lord will have done in us so much uh, so much more and far, far above what we could have ever thought. And so the, the gospel, this, this great promise, uh, the gospel message, is tremendous to bring all of us from from death to life, uh, from the, the temporal to the eternal. And it's truly, truly, truly a blessing.